is Jesus and gym shoes. Boy, this is Jesus and gym shoes. So you should shoes. get to take him to the bed and all that stuff? Yeah, so like having the dog really did help because he had everything happen. He got sick. We had to take him to the vet. Um, we had to, you know, take him to get his shots, figure out what their food choice is. So it's like naturally now with the child, it's like you have that, you know, that whole responsibility under your belt. So you, you're you used to looking after someone or looking after, you know, the needs of someone else outside of your spouse who's an adult and they can look after themselves. You know yeah, what I'm exactly. saying? Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Jesus and Gym Shoes where we have unparalleled conversations about life skills in Jesus. I have a good friend of mine here, uh, Mr. Shamari Brown. He is a philanthropist. He is a man of God, a man <laughs> after God's own heart. You hear me? Because Jesus loves him. Jesus <laughs> loves his wife. Uh, uh, Jesus loves his dog. <laughs> and Jesus loves the new baby. Uh, no. Shamari, starting off, what, what's, what's your favorite pair of gym shoes? Ooh, Kohans. <laughs> the, the the gym shoes that they got gym shoes. I know, I know but it is he put it okay. on. So look at okay. my first pair though before Kohans were of course Air Force Ones. Um, okay. and then you know when you get older, and I don't know, and I start working in a professional field, I I kind of left my my super like sporty gym shoe, uh out like I, I just transitioned didn't even know so i like the kohan gym shoes I like the kohan sh dress shoes i like the kohan everything i got all kohan so you, were, so you were prepping to be a dad <laughs> that was my that was my aspiration it was to be a dad um mm -hmm. but yeah so yours weren't with new balance yours was with kohan okay so you a new age dad i guess so <laughs> I guess so. I mean, hey, you. I mean, that may say a whole lot about me, but that's what I. I mean, other than that, I, I run with, I run in New Balances outside okay, of those. Okay, you run in New Balances. Okay, okay. Yep. I'm here so for I that. got. Yep. So all my all my running shoes are New Balances, and then I got another pair of running shoes that were by Kohan, which I saw, and so I got those, and then I kind of wear like this casual, uh, Kohan shoe. That like it look it got a it got a sole like a rubber sole, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they like leather and uh, suede leather, so they they pretty dope. And I got those like in like four three colors, but yeah, That's New Balance, New Balance, and Kohan. That's what's up. I um so we were talking right before I press record. You're a new dad. Yes, I am. You are a new dad. Two two months and two days. Yep. Or she will be two months in two days. Yep. What is that like? Um, I've been telling everybody the same kind of narrative. Like there is something natural that kicks in. Like once she came out of my wife Imani's womb and like I was in the back room and I saw her and she was crying and everything. It's like a light switch came on like automatically i'm about to protect this young girl automatically um everything about her is important to me and the good thing about our experience is i was able to be the one to do skin to skin because my wife had a c-section so um once she came out i cut the umbilical cord 
and you know told her welcome to the world i was able to after they weighed her and stuff that she had time with my wife i was able to take her straight to the recovery room and put her on my chest um and to see my heart rate and me regulate her heartbeat it was like this is my responsibility so i think uh something natural kicked in on that day and then i feel like from that day forward i have been in learning in school so i feel like i'm in a kindergarten of being a parent <laughs> wow <laughs> we're trying to make it to the first grade <laughs> exactly what have you learned so far i've learned that um you know she is growing every day um mm -hmm. I, I'm learning that my wife, she's who's uh, nursing her, which is you know breastfeeding. I've learned that the my wife produces every nutrient that she needs, mm. um, and that has been just amazing to watch how God does that. And I I've recognized that everything, nothing is serious until it's serious. So us being new parents. Once she was like, her breathing was a little bit weird. She would be making like different sounds. We were calling the 24 hour doctor and, um, you know, the doctor would be like, is she eating? Yes. Is she using the bathroom? Yes. Then she's fine. <laughs> like, oh, okay, great. So as long as she's doing those two things without a fever, she's great. Yeah. So that's what I've learned so far. And that, that, that takes the edge off and the anxiety away. Okay, so nothing is serious until it's serious. What about what were your thoughts kind of prior um, to the first? No, I'm not going to ask that. What were your thoughts prior to her coming? I was very anxious about, mm -hmm. you know, you create scenarios like, am I going to be able to hold her? Um, what is it going to be like to change her? You know, um, I was just nervous about things like that. And then also that there is this human being that I'm now responsible for. And when I've only been responsible for, of course, being a good husband. But like I said, my wife is an adult and then being responsible for a dog. But that's a pet. So I kind of got nervous leading up to it for sure. Do they uh kind of line up with now? Are you able to hold her? Oh yeah, I'm changing her. Okay. I'm, I'm holding her, flipping her, changing diapers. Yeah, changing diapers. Doing all that. Yeah, because I wanted to. I mean, I know some dads because you know they don't feel comfortable, you know, changing their daughters. At least I've heard a couple of stories from dads like I don't feel comfortable. You know, I might you know do something wrong. But I told my wife I was like, I want to learn. You watch me. You know, let me know that I'm doing this right. And I got it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and I got it. And it's like, again, like I said, that natural um, transition into fatherhood kicked in on me. I can't even really describe it. I mean, you pledged, right? So. I ain't saying you paper. I ain't saying that. No, but. What I'm saying is when when we when we pledge, okay, all right. Um, we you you know in your mind you want to be in your fraternity right before you pledge, mm -hmm. but it's yeah. like once you cross, you get this. Hey, 
you know, you start rocking Perry on top of Perry. You wear a hat. You got the necklace on. You got the bracelet on. You just straight up uh, Neo. Like, and I feel yeah. like that's how I was. Like, I had this I'm an awesome dad shirt on. I was just like, I put the sticker on the back of the car. Like, that's kind of like how I could explain that transition. Like, once you pledge and you you got it, you got your letters, like, that's how it is becoming a parent. This is the first. We equated uh, new fatherhood <laughs> to... <laughs> To be able, oh man, to be a dad—that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, and you online, you online too. For those first, I mean, some nights you still think you online. Like, you know, she be up every three hours. Like, hey, where my milk at? You know what I'm saying? So it's like you know that same mindset of, you know, when you're in that process, just working to your positive outcome. The positive outcome, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned about you while parenting thus far? I've I learned that um I don't have a model to look mm-hmm. towards. Um that's mm-hmm. in my immediate family. Like for example, my dad wasn't there to raise me. Um I wasn't like all my uncles and stuff. I didn't get to see what type of parents they were. So I mm-hmm. do. So what I find myself doing because I don't have anybody to reference, I've learned that now I'm reaching for people who got kids now. So yes. I feel like I'm constantly uh, researching because I didn't know. Like, so I'm asking people questions. Um, I learned that I'm hard on myself, especially when it comes to her. So like when something goes wrong or I, you know, dropped her pacifier like for the tenth time because that's what my thing is. I just I learned that I, I just I learned that I just can't keep up with the pacifier, you know. <laughs> um, so I learned that for sure, and you know I dropped it, and and at first it was like, dang man, can you just hold on to it? Do you need it to wrap it around your neck or something? Like, um, so I learned that I'm hard on myself, and uh, I'm still. I'm I'm actively reaching out to people to help me how to do this. Mm. What have you learned from her, your daughter? Man, I have learned that she don't have no judgment, uh, that her love is like at at her purest essence. Her love is pure. Mm. Like she she don't see my flaws yet, Mm. you know. So (laughs) I'm I'm sucking this up that that in this moment dad could do no wrong you know Mm -hmm. she don't have no type of um opinion about who i am and that it feels good to be around someone like that i actually told my wife i said i want us to take our love back to a newborn place because like as adults you got these expectations you got these uh, you know, these things that you want the person that you're in a relationship with to live up to. Yeah. And when they don't, you, whether you are conscious about it or not, retract some of your love. Yeah. You know, you like, I don't love you that much right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, or I don't like you, but I still love you. But I feel like, you know, you can interchange those love and like uh, when it comes to like, you know, your behavior, because, you know, the mm-hmm. Bible says love is patient. Love is kind. Like so, and if you no, are, record, if you no record now, if you did those two, then what you doing? You ain't loving. 
So uh, saying that to say, she just has shown me a pure love and um, she has shown me that I'm not that flawed because she can depend on me. Mm. Like her livelihood in this, but everything concerning her life, her safety, her food, her well-being is in my hands. And mm. so that I'm trustworthy to an extent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's showing that to me about myself. Mm. You made a really good point about wanting to go back to the place of being childlike and in love. Um, I was praying earlier when we were at when I was at church, and um, Pastor Hannah had Pastor Jamon's son sing today, mm -hmm. and I was like, God, I want childlike faith again, where you can go and you don't have any of the of the reservations, you don't have any of the the disappointments or anything like that um that that's happened before because mm -hmm. i think that like you said you can become that same way with god after you know you've had disappointments and i mean of course we know all things work together for the good of those right yeah uh, but sometimes those all things that are working together sometimes that working together can kind of work on us work on our faith and work on and make us kind of hesitant and kind of make us faithless so we can kind of be like Jarius a little bit and be like, yo, I need you to help my unbelief. But sometimes that unbelief is whew, I feel you. Is this it's a it's a it's a crazy place to be in that un unbelief. What if you and I know that you guys were in a place of like, yo, I know all things work together, but uh what's up? So what have you learned from being a co-parent? Or what have you learned from your co-parent? Like I know she's your wife, but she's also like yeah. parenting this child with you? Um, I've learned that my wife is very um, detail-oriented. Mm. Um, so she she's seeing stuff that I don't see. Like um, she sees, uh, you know, if Olivia's less whiny when she's her diaper needs to be changed or her or her cry, the pitch of her cry is connected to food or connected to discomfort in her stomach. And and not only that, my, my wife is tenacious, like she is the type of person that if she can't figure it out, she's going to do whatever necessary mm -hmm. to figure it out, to get a solution. And and she's going to try things. She's going to uh research what's best practices and see if they work until she get it. And then once she gets it, then she implements it. And then when she implements it, she teaches it. So like, um, I'm a student of Imani, you know, I say I'm the director type. Im Imani's the manager type. Imani can create an operation for mm -hmm. our house, for anything. And for example, like just the bottles, like Imani says, okay, we have to wash the bottles, then we have to um, sanitize them, then after we sanitize them, we dry them, then after we dry them, we dry them again, then they're ready. 
You know, like and I'm like, oh, I got to do that. So I learned processes and procedures from her, um, and uh, I hop right in and do it. I I am not that when it comes to day to day life. I um, I'm I'm myself a director. I can give direction in, in order to get that done. You know, I see us going this route, or I see us using that procedure that somebody already created to make that happen. But I'm not the one that created that. I just looked and said, okay, that one works. So let's use that, you know. Um, or like, for example, I'm ta- I'm the one to take all the pictures and stuff like that. So I'm like, because I mean, I got a creative eye. I'm like, this is how we need to set her up. This is how we're going to set it up. Or, um, you know, if I see that uh, she does better, you know, laying on her back or uh, laying or laying propped up. I'm saying, let's do this. You know, I'm I'm providing the direction for what we should do. We, we tried it this way. Let's do this. Um, but mm-hmm. Imani is saying, in order to achieve that, you mm-hmm. gotta put you gotta put roll this blanket up and put it under her. You know, her her bed so that she can be propped up. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. so it's like me being able to give that direction and then her being able to put legs on it or. Um, her creating a process and saying what you think about it, then I'm able to say, yeah, I think that that's great. Um, and I learn, you know, so I learn if there's anything I learn, I learn how to do my research and I learn how to create a process that gets stuff done. Mm. Okay. What is a scripture that holds you during this time of being a dad? What do I say a lot? The righteous shall live by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could do Why? all things through. Uh, well, okay. the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. Is I say, um, no matter how much research you do, this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or no matter how many opinions you take in, there is an element of faith <laughs> that you need. Like, like you said, that childlike faith, that that faith that says. God, I know you're going to do this for me. Or that faith mm-hmm. is that that faith of that it's it's the faith of uh, and the assurance that the sun, like you know how we know the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like we got a childlike faith about that because it's been tested and tried, and it's this assurance. And I and I say, I can't get caught up in all these different opinions. I can get caught up in what people think manhood is and all these different things. I gotta have faith in God and faith in what God sends me. So I always tell myself, you know, Shamar, you got to live by faith. You can't live by research or science all by itself because it's it's going to, it will eventually fail you. So you need some faith in God and you need some faith in what, in, in his word to get you through. Um, mm-hmm. And then I always recite to myself, um, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength because um, life is hard, man. Like, <laughs> You know, trying to take care of a baby throughout a pandemic, wearing a mask, hearing about people passing away, um, all these different things. And it's like, wow. So it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Saying to myself, uh, the I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That has been what helps me face the decisions that we have to make. Like Mm -hmm. I said, having a child during the pandemic, 
having to wear masks, having to tell family members they can't be up close to your baby, um, you know, making hard decisions that people didn't have to think about that we have to think about today. And then furthermore, how are we going to raise our daughter in this age, which is mm -hmm. different than ours, you know? Um, so I just feel like, man, I, I, I need God to help me navigate this and, and, and get it done. So I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength and then the righteous shall live by faith. So what are you doing to stay in shape for you, for your, what are you doing to stay in shape so that way you can be the best dad? Physical shape. Like Any working shape you're out. Thinking about. Mental, <laughs> it can be... Um, so I would say I've always been spiritually fit. You know, that is a, a a pillar in my life, you know, my faith. I am, you know, a seminary graduate in graduate school. Um, I'm a Bible reader. Um, I've read over 300 Bible plans on the Bible app. I write devotions. Um we're going to get into that uh, and stuff like that. So um, my spiritual piece is strong mm -hmm. now from a mental health piece. Um, what I've learned from the pandemic is that not only do you need your faith and spirituality, but you need some mental health uh, in place, some mental health, mm -hmm. uh, you know, things in place. And so I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy for almost a year and a half. So it's going on mm -hmm. two years. Um, and I have gotten to the root cause, so, some root causes of a lot of my behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I had no idea, you know, I had no idea how much stuff I needed to process um, in order for the word, uh, the Bible, my faith to actually uh be operable in my day-to-day -day activities you know because my if your mental health isn't right sometimes what you read don't even make sense because it's not even penetrating you know your psych psychology um so um i'm in therapy i uh you know have a spiritual discipline what I, the two areas that i want i feel like are um got the light on that i need to work on is I need to have more fun. So okay. I need to, I definitely need to have some more fun and I need to work out. Um, those are my two 2022 goals. Them are my two main goals. I need to have a lot of more fun and I need to exercise. Okay. What does fun look like for you? I mean, I, man, I want to dance. I want to laugh until my stomach hurt, you know? <laughs> I want to crack jokes. I want to play games. Like one of the good steps in that direction is yesterday we went to a friend's house and we just played these games. And like, so there's these new games out and I'm like, I had no idea about this because I haven't played games in a long time, you know, because mm -hmm. everything is online. But we went to a friend's house and uh, they had uh, a game called like Name That Meme, like and you know, I mean this, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. me and that that was like hilarious, you know. So I was laughing so hard, my head hurt. Like, um, you know, just about how you could choose which meme would go to the picture, and then you know, the person who pulls the card gets to choose who got the best description. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I love that. And then we did another game called uh, the Revoking Your Black Card. Mm-hmm. Black, uh, Card Revoked, yeah. Black Card Revoked. So I played that. We played that. And that was kind of funny because I'm like, man, I was like three you points. Know, but <laughs> no, I, I was I was sticking in there. But the part I don't like about the game is the majority rules part. Because it's like everybody... You know, when it says, okay, how many people think that, you know, this, 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 and this. And if you feel different, but everybody else feel the same, then your black card get revoked, you know? And, I mean, I don't know if majority rules uh, work. Yeah, but I, I mean, how to play the game. Yeah, but basically what happens is they got factual questions, like, in Friday, who uh, was the guy that got punched by Debo? You know, and yeah. you got a name, A, B, or C. That's mm-hmm. a factual question. It? You know who it was? Yeah, it was Red. No, the, uh, it was Craig. Oh, Craig. No. Well, Craig, Craig, Red did get punched by Debo. Yeah, Craig, Craig Craig beat up Debo. Okay. Yes, Craig was there, and that was one of the answers. Craig, uh, Smokey, Red, or Stanley. That was the question. <laughs> and <laughs> I remembered it clearly, like, because he had that UPS outfit on and he was sitting on the porch. But uh, so, yeah, so that was a, like a factual question. Then they have a majority rules. Like, uh, who do you think is X? How many people do you think, uh, who, who is the best rapper or whatever of the 90s? Actually, no, they said, who is the most popular woman of the 90s? This was a majority rules. And they were like, Stacey Dash, uh, Lauren Holly Hill, Berry. Holly Berry, and then somebody else. And then everybody was like Holly Berry. And I'm like, I thought it was Stacey Dash. But they were like, you know, whatever. You know, I'm like, so you can weigh it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, people really mm-hmm. were like in the state Stacey Dash at that time. And so, but I got my car revoked for that one because my decision. But saying that to say, that was fun. I wanted, to, I want more of that. Like, um, mm-hmm. I feel like the pandemic has made things so much more morbid and so much more negative like mm-hmm. everything is about who died and when and who said that black lives matter and who didn't say it and am i christian as as i am because of my political beliefs like it's just so much serious stuff around us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know so yeah. I definitely I, I definitely want to have more fun oh that's awesome i think um wow i think more than anything I think the first step is identifying what it is that uh, what it is that we have to do yep. to make those right steps. Mm-hmm. And with making those, what is it that you want your daughter to remember about you? That I was always present in her life and loved her mm-hmm. and that and that I love the Lord. Like my dad loved the Lord. He served him. He wrote books. He he helped people. He preached. You know, I wanted those two things that I was always present and available for her, and that I loved the Lord. Mm. That's beautiful. We gonna switch it up real quick. Okay. <laughs> it ain't gonna be that. It ain't gonna be that. Okay. Cool. So we're gonna do this rapid fire round real quick. All right. I'm gonna say something. 
And as soon as I say it, I want the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. okay. All right. Life and community. Podcasts. Okay. That I that I have. Okay. All right. Um <laughs> what else about that? Uh I cannot be who I am without a community. Mm-hmm. I need I need people. I don't know about these people saying they don't need nobody, but they either lying or I'm nothing like them. I got to have friends. I got to be able to text somebody. I got to be able to cry to somebody. I got to be able to laugh. I got to have somebody around me. So I I cannot thrive without a good community of people around me. Period. Better together. I think that um, for my marriage, me and Imani do good when we partner together. And when we have arguments, we do bad. (laughs) We do bad. But when we on point, man, we are like a force. But man, when we argue, it's been like that since college. It's like when we argued, all our friends would be like, man, would y'all make up so that we all can hang together? Because what would happen is they would have to choose. <laughs> so they would be at my dorm room like, man, just apologize to her. And they were like, because when y'all mad at each other, the whole crew ain't on point, you know? So we should have known we were going to get married at that point. But that's, a, that's another story. But yeah, we better together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about um, Amani? The first thing, love. Mm-hmm. She is a. Uh, I call her. She a gallon lover. She like a, a, a gallon size lover. You know, she ain't no no. She ain't a no one liter or nothing like that. Like. She when she comes, gallon size lover. She like she poured on you. Like I love you. I'm here. Like I, I was talking about it the other day. I was like, when we was in college again, I wasn't used to the type of love that she had, or even like community. Like my community mentality thrived in college. Came about in college, but she had this thing. You know, text when you make it to your dorm room, and mm-hmm. you know we want to make sure everybody's safe. And I'm like, I don't want nobody knowing where I'm at. Like, cause I might not even go back to my room. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so it was like that accountability and that, 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 uh, you know, you don't got no gas. All right, y'all, let's put a couple of dollars together to make sure Shamari got some gas. Like, wow. Like that was the type of love that I was getting back then. And so like with right now, it's like Shamari, whatever you do, I got you and I love you. And I'm going to see you through darkness and I'm going to see you through, you know, your good times too. Pops. And you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, funny. Pop, <laughs> funny. Pops is, and, and he raw and real. Yes, Pops going to keep it real, man. We sit and have conversations, and Pops, he always say, I'll take the sheets off of it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he just, because of that, he funny. I literally had to ask one time. I was like, yo, whose dad is this? Like, which one of you guys is dad? Is this like because the way that he loves both of you guys? Yeah, I really had to like ask and see. <laughs> yeah, 
man. They, I'm grateful. Like, I feel like her parents, like, they took the in-law thing to a whole nother level. Like, I literally say our parents. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that does confuse people because they, like, really engrafted me in. Like, sometimes I could win them over more than Imani. <laughs> like, so mm-hmm. sometimes they would take my side, you know? Um, but that's how much they brought me in. When they brought me in, they did not cut anything off. That's, yeah, it's, it's he the coolest man in the world. Man, could talk about anything. And this man, they he came, they came and stayed with us the first week when the baby came. Mm-hmm. You know, they we just recently moved to a different neighborhood. Um, and they came within a week, they stayed for one week. This man knew everyone that was lives right by us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. everybody who I walked the dog to talk about, they would be like, Yeah, I met your pops the other day. <laughs> I'm like, how did you meet everybody in the community in one week? So like they they now be asking me, where is he at? I'm like, he's at home. But the guy, he he can talk about everybody. And I think it's because he's he was born in 1945. So he done came up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. So I think he just got so much to relate with people on. And he yeah. was just cutting in on them and talking. That's wild. Um Outreach. Uh, it's what made me, it's what taught me who God is. I didn't know God until I started doing outreach. Mm. Outreach showed, outreach made the Bible alive to me. When I, when I got outside of myself and started helping homeless people, when I started helping people who are on drugs, when I started serving and cleaning up a dirty community, when I started going to soup kitchens and making friends with the people who asked for money on the corners. And then I read in the Bible where Jesus said, where I was hungry, you fed me. And when I went into prisons and preached, that that is what made me, that was what made my belief Lock in. Mm-hmm. Is is doing outreach. That's how we met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we and, and you see what it does? It make you feel like family. Like you're like my family. Yeah. We we like family. We never yeah. going to be disconnected. That's how deep it is. Yeah. It's 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 um. And I rock with uh genuine people. Yeah. So we're seeing like the way that you actually love on the people. Yeah. It was that was the sight to see. Because I don't really rock with I don't really rock if you're not out here doing right by the people. Yeah. I don't really rock with that. Yeah. I was I was genuine, man, and that's what made me so so tired after seven years of doing it. Like uh, as a job, as a career. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean career, I'm, yeah. I'm still helping people still like I I never can get away from it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I never can get away from it. But um, I gave everything I could to it. Um, mainly because when I started helping people, I recognized that people are not really what they go through. 
Yeah. Like I met some intellectual homeless people that are probably as smart as someone who works for the government. Mm-hmm. I've met I've met people who, you know, who are on drugs more loving than a pastor. And so what I recognize is that people are not what they do or what they're going through. People are not what they're going through. That's the main thing. People are not what they're going through. Um, they could be something totally different. And then that that's what opened my mind. It's like that split decision that like some people have from that can turn them any type of way. Right. But at their core, they are who they are, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like what you're saying. I mean, as some people I've learned find comfort in obscurity um, because it releases them from the pressures of dealing with certainty. Like um, it's a lot to remain certain and to remain sure. It's a lot to remain secure. Right. Um, So I've learned that it's really a decision. Like some people will never leave homelessness because there is actually safety for them in the homelessness. Yeah, because it's a lot of stuff that you gotta like maintaining my house or maintaining my building or maintaining mm-hmm. a car. Yep. I've never thought about that. Yeah. They they don't want that pressure. They don't want people in their business. They don't they don't want to interact into I mean, and of course, from a diagnostic statistical manual standpoint, mm-hmm. there is some uh quote unquote uh, psychiatric issues with that. There's some psych, you know, psychosis. There's some detachment from reality because mm-hmm. of those decisions. Um, but also, I feel like at the same time, is it really? You know, if so, it's it's a um, that's what I, and that's how I had to learn treat people right. You know, treat people right, no matter what. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. I I learned, man, that people are more than what they seem. You can never take a human being and say, oh, man, that's just so-and-so, and they ain't got nothing going on. Like, you can't, don't do that to people. Black man theology. That's, uh, that's getting to know God from a black man's perspective. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, I got to work through a lot of whitewashing. I got to work through America's dynamics over black men to get to who God really is and how he feels about me as a black man that's made in his image. Mm. Because everything that I've seen growing up, white was right and black was wrong. So how do I believe in this God that my white brothers and sisters believe in? when they treat me differently than what mm-hmm. the Bible says. And is he, is he their God? Is, is that the God? Is he like them? Mm. So black man theology is a quest to rec- to see if God is who he is in the Bible to me, a black man. And then it's me as a black man working through all of the trauma 
and all of the day-to-day discrimination and pressure that I have to deal with to get to a genuine faith. Mm. And it's hard. And everybody think it's like just some kind of, it's hard. It's yeah, not, absolutely. It ain't I, easy. It ain't. Um, And then having to deal with the people who kind of throw things together before that saying, they, they kind of like throw these, I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but they throw like different things together to make up a religion or make up a way for them to feel about God. Right. And it doesn't necessarily follow a logical standpoint or like it it doesn't have like a logical flow to it in a way, in the sense that um, in in the sense that you would do anything else logically. Right. Right. If you set up like, hey, if I save money, if I put X, Y and Z money up. And into an account and it makes 1% interest, I know that over time this thing will happen, right? Yeah. They don't take those same, that same type of logic doesn't get put in towards the Bible, towards Christianity, towards uh, the God of our faith. Right. 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 And so it's hard because you got a lot of people that are, um, most definitely, they're most definitely, um, yeah, they're, they're most definitely like not giving it a chance because yeah. of the fact that they have to do the work of overcoming the whitewashing. Yeah, they said forget it. A lot of black mm-hmm. scholars are atheists. A lot of people who, a lot of black scholars have become atheists because they mm-hmm. said, I just can't wrap my mind around a God letting that happen to me. If that's the God, I don't want nothing to do with him. And black man theology for me is to say, well, let me dig, right? Because one thing Mm -hmm. that pain doesn't have is a color. Pain is pain. Suffering is suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, a person who grew up in privilege because their debit card got shut off for a punishment that's unlimited, mm-hmm. they, they suffering. Like a black person who got an EBT card, which is a, a food stamp card, mm-hmm. because they don't make enough income. Yeah, A lot of people will say, man, no, nah, it's worse, because see, they got the money in that. But in essence, what I'm saying is that that person's pain, that person's suffering is a suffering, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, so I'm not justifying racism at all. That's not what I'm saying. At yeah, all. we. I, yeah, I'm talking about just these these words and these these uh, that are d- by definition don't include color. Death does not include color. Yeah. You know, a pandemic will kill you if you're white or black or Hispanic yeah. or Asian. You know. Um, you know, some will die more frequent than, uh, with the, frequently than others, and that is where mm-hmm. the racism come in, right? Yeah. But at the same time, everybody has a death notice. Yeah. I was reading this article by uh, Miranda Lovett, um, and I, I'll send it to you. It's called Reflecting on the Rise of the Hotel. And, <laughs> and it was, like gave an anthropological view of how black folks became hoteps. <laughs> like, 
yeah. what is a hotep? So a hotep <laughs> is the is are the cats that are like um um how can I explain it? They are they they're the cats that don't necessarily will subscribe to anything Western. Like everything is uh. um uh the black man is God or the um yeah the black man is God. Uh they subscribe to all of these like West uh, not West African, but like they they uh, ascribe to like Egyptology and they you know all of crystals and sage and no, 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 no 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 not I mean that is like one portion but they like have this uh view of 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 ancient Egypt or Africa as being like this monolith of everything was all good. We were all kings, we were all queens and they they that's what they like feel. And so everything is looked at everything in western civilization isn't right because they have this uh ro- uh they infant they infantilize or romanticize this made up view of what was happening in um in Africa prior to us being here. Got it. And so it, a lot of it is made up mm-hmm. because um it's kind of like when you when you rock with uh if you've ever like listened to um if you've ever listened to uh uh people who subscribe to um what is it called Hebrew Israelism. Yeah. Right. And you know how they kind of how they say, yeah, we're all, you know, Hebrews, we're all from the tribe of Israel. We're and the it's chosen like, people. Yeah, we the chosen people. It's kind of like that. But it's like taking it to a whole new level where everything is like from Kemet. And then they don't necessarily I mean they, they kind of like fall in line together because they're like, yo, uh we we're all children, we're we we are the chosen ones. Egypt was home, and it's like, bro, like you can't necessarily uh, trace your lineage back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, like there's no way for you to actually do that. And just mm-hmm. like with the uh, Hebrew Israelites, like there's no way that you know that like these children of Israel, like you're related to them in right. any way, right? Like, there's yeah. no way to there's no way to like factually prove mm-hmm. that like these people of the Bible mm-hmm. are your people, right? Like we're all his, we're all Jesus's people because of the mm-hmm. fact that like he died for us. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pull out. I'm gonna get in my Baptist bag real quick. Yeah. You know, because he went to the cross. Right, right, right. <laughs> now we all a part of the family. Now we all a part of the family. Right. But uh, hoteps for the most hoteps. Uh, she said in this article, she said the image falls neatly into the category of hoteps subculture, a relatively new movement in the U.S that uses Egyptian history as a parcel to wrap up messages of black pride. People characterized as hoteps tend to wear traditional African styles, create content about the history of black people from before the transatlantic slave trade and spread ideology um, about the place of black men and women within black communities. She goes on to say in this article, that uh, a lot of time, the Hotep movement, however, are celebratory of progress. Hotep memes often denounce homosexuality and interracial marriage and spread conspiracy theories or inaccurate ideas about history. 
They also place women as secondary to men. Uh, Hotep memes often preach that black men should strive to fight oppression that has disenfranchised them, but they tend to be silent about the oppression of black women. Hmm. I can see that. I, I can see a lot of that uh, ideology creeping into a couple of people that I know. Um, Me too. I can see. I Honestly, I feel like the pandemic has pushed. Um, I feel like there's a shift in our millennials. There's a shift um, in our belief system that we're going to see probably a, the manifestation of it in the next probably five to ten years. But this past two years sort of served as a breaking away. Like, so for example, the, a trust was broken. Um, or you know how like, uh, 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 how could you explain it? How could I explain it? Um, all right, so you know if you exercise, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you are... You know, your body is used to the exercise and stuff because you you are very fit. You are very, you know, you're in it, you know, and when you get up, mm -hmm. you're inspired to go exercise because you're in it. You, you're fit. You're a fit person. You're a healthy person. But if you take a vacation, right, and you eat mm -hmm. your favorite kind of foods and stuff like that, when you come back, it is very hard to get that motivation back and then Chances are you never go back to the way you were. Mm -hmm. I believe that the pandemic shutting the world down and the, the churches being virtual for over a year and the lack of in-person fellowship and in-person connection caused people to um, question the theology of what was being preached to them and now they come back and they are at war with what they're hearing because mm -hmm. honestly when it was virtual they weren't listening like we used to listen as intently, it, yeah. as intently as it was in person and if we're honest also our attention span well let me just i'm just talk about me maybe i'm just the case study yeah i was on my, my phone i was on my phone my, okay my attention span is like if it ain't like hot, like even with a show, like if the show ain't like boom, 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 boom you know, like uh, like giving them blows, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I'm done. I'm yeah. done. I'm I can't even. And I think that it has to do with social media. It has to do with TikTok. It has to do with Instagram. Yeah. It has to do with Reels. And if we're we got to be honest with how that has changed us, mm -hmm. because I do not read my physical Bible as much as I did prior to the pandemic or prior, you know, like I would say like three years ago, because now I'm on my phone and I use the Bible app. Yeah. And, um, and, and with that, there's a difference, you know, um, and I am working through what has changed in me, but if I can take my perspective on looking at it, I feel like people are ascribing to pieces of, things to give them um freedom and quote-unquote liberation you know liberation hidden in this idea that 
I want to be exactly how I am. I want to break away. I want to. I want to rebel against what this really was, and I want to hear things that that justifies what, what I do, mm -hmm. even if it goes against what the Lord is saying. So, Dr. Eric Mason, who wrote the book Urban Apologetics, he yeah. um actually did a sermon a sermon series recently, uh, deconstructing your faith. And yes. I think that he did a really, really good job of um, showing people how to actually do it, to yeah. uh, go through it. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's okay to question. And with it being okay to question, this is how you break it down. Mm -hmm. And then this is how you come back from what it is that you, um, what it is that you discovered. Yep. And I think a lot of people are not allowing the text to actually talk. They'll see it, but then they don't necessarily like uh, let God let God breathe on it. It's like, see, I knew this particular thing was happening, and I knew that this is what it was going to show, but it don't it you it don't allow grace. They don't allow grace for the text. No, and a lot of it is because. Dr. Eric Mason, it, what is sad about the Dr. Eric Mason thing is that he's the only one talking about deconstruction. Like, that is definitely should have been on every pastor's agenda. But what certain pastors have done is they're continuing on with the show as possible. And what is happening is that people have deconstructed subconsciously and didn't even know. And they are striving to try to hold on to what the pastors are saying. They're like, oh, this they're uncomfortable. They're like they're they're finding the flaws in the in the in the um rhetoric. They're finding the flaws in the uh in the continual repetitive uh statements. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm in that place. Like yeah. luckily I'm also giving grace right to people or to you know sermons or to yep. the space that I'm in. But for somebody who, like, doesn't actually want there to be good news at the end, they, like, see. <laughs> That's it. They just, like, see, I told you. <laughs> yeah, they are. And then that's, that's how you say, oh, man, well, let me go over here and just say all this is jacked up, jacked up in the Western hemisphere let me go back to see what they did in Egypt and what they took from us and what they withheld from us and what I believe about that is that yes colonialization is real yes mm -hmm. um whiteness and uh racism and uh uh what is it uh conquest to destroy indigenous people is real but at the same time, none of it is of greater than God, you know, um, and God can reach within that dynamic and still give anyone um, who wants him, him. And that mm -hmm. person could get access into him in a way that would change their lives um, for the better. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I think one of the misnomers that people have is that like the goodness of God looks like having a lot. 
Yep. Or the goodness of God looks like full help. Yep. The goodness of God looks like getting that new job. Or the goodness of God looks like um him coming to what you think is your rescue. Yeah. I agree. I, I told this, you know, this one thing I was dealing with in therapy. I mean, it is me. This is just me, myself, and I. I feel like I had to detox from prosperity teaching. Because the reason why was because it began to create a depression when reality kicked mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Like, and it also colludes my judgment of what I'm really capable of. Mm-hmm. Everyone is not going to be great. It's kind of like the 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 the, the uh, participation trophy. Yeah, everybody want the everybody want the great. They they this is what they like. You gonna get a participation trophy, but you're not gonna get first place. Right. Everybody is not at the top. Everyone is not going to travel the world and do miraculous and amazing things. Everyone is not going to have multiple streams of income because they don't even know how to fold their clothes and talk on the phone at the same time. Mm -hmm. Everyone is not going to have these different things. And And not only that, not everyone can be taught that. And not only that, that is not necess- that is not what Jesus was. This is Jesus and gym shoes, right? Mm-hmm. If we want to talk about, and so I had to to deconstruct my prosperity um, mentality, and I had to reconstruct a Christ centered theology. Mm. And I and the way that I did that was that I had to go to the teachings in the red. You know, if you have the King James Version Bible, and they even do it on the Bible app, where when mm-hmm. Jesus talks, it's red. And I had to really take a look at Jesus's life, like in his mentality, like, and and what he chose to do when it comes to this idea of prosperity and stuff like that. And he, what I realized is he was really sending a different message. And his message was, was not taking an oath of poverty, like to say, okay, I'm going to just be, I don't want to, I'm going to stay in poverty and slavery or whatever type of Mm -hmm. oppression. His, his idea was don't take the privileges that you have to exalt yourself more than what you ought to. Mm. So he was a king who could have had a chariot, a castle who he could have been a monarch right he was the king that came that god promised israel he could have had a chariot he could have did it just like king david had a mansion and all these different things but instead he chose to um, live with other people be on a move because he was on an assignment and then i'll never forget like the palm sunday when he came in on a donkey and he said go get me a donkey so that i could ride in because I don't want to bring attention to myself that I could. And I think that it's this idea of I got just me and my significant other and I'm a millionaire. Do I need a 10-bedroom mansion? 
Like, do I really need that? Or no? Like, I, I think that there could be, I think that there were millionaires according to the, the price ranges in that time who were actually a part of Jesus's ministry. And I feel like they submitted to his leadership and they decided to use the privileges that they have for a good greater than themselves. Yeah. And, and I think that we're not being taught that anymore. We're not being taught, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, that just because you can don't mean that you have to. Uh, and I think that I had to detox from that. And I had to tell myself every day is a good day, even if extraordinary things don't happen. That's the life skill, right? Because yep. we talk about life skills in Jesus, right? I think that's yeah. the life skill. A lot of people are not satisfied with mm -hmm. um, every day being a good day. Just every single, just not day to day. I, I go work out. I come home. I eat. I talk to some friends, people I love on the phone. By the end of the night, I'm watching a good movie, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that again, un unmet expectations to God about God affects people's faith tremendously mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when he is not the god that they have been told that they should believe in then why should they believe at all yeah yeah and it's a struggle because i know like like i know that you know at some point like i've had a lot i've had a little yep and i've had to trust god in both of those scenarios Yep. And in both of those scenarios, things could have went kaput at any moment. And sometimes when you have a little, you like, whoo, I'm glad <laughs> I ain't got no whole bunch because, man, I would have had to lose a whole lot. Yeah. And I was telling, I was, I, I, it's funny that yesterday I was with my nephew. Um, I was with my nephew all day. You know, we kicked it or whatever. And so I was driving. Uh, I went. We went and picked up his dad from the salon, and his um. And I was like, I want to show you something, Amir. And so back in 2015, on his birthday was the day I was supposed to close on another building. Mm -hmm. And I showed him. I was like, Hey, you on your birthday in 2015? I had got fired from my job, and they called me while I was in the cab. Like, hey, we just called your office. They said you no longer work there. Like, what's going on? We wanted to call you in so you could close. And I was like, dang. <laughs> so I, dang. Showed him, I showed him the building. But I'm grateful uh -huh. because I didn't realize that, like, from 2016 to 2018, I would be without a job. Like, I would be underemployed. Uh -huh. And if I had had that building, uh -huh. I would not have been able to do right by it. Yeah. And I would have lost it. Yep. So God was still God, even though mm. I had to personally learn a lesson. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of times, and I was talking to my dad about this. He was doing a sermon today. Um, we were at dinner last night talking about uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. 
And he was like, you know, uh, these temptations are like common to man and that type of thing. And I'm like, dad, what's the application? What's the application? And so I'm reading this book called Safe People. So I was out walking Harlem this morning and I was like, daddy. And I called him before he went, before he was still shaving, before he went to go preach. Um, and so I was like, daddy, I don't think that it's our temptations a lot of times. I think a lot of people blame our temptations, but it's our triggers. Ooh. It's not our temptations. Yeah. We tempted, but it's our triggers. Like, it's really, really our triggers. Like, those are the internal things. Our temptations are the spiritual things. Right. Our triggers that make us go do foolish stuff are the are the unhealed things that we have to deal with. Those that's, are the things that can separate us from God for the most part. That's fire. You should have preached. <laughs> he, he ain't ready, you know. They, they weren't ready for that. That is so fire because you're not lying. Let me tell you, because when I am triggered, that is when sin is ever pres- present. Ever. Let me tell present. you, once I am triggered, I begin to turn crazy. Like if something, if it's a, it depends on the size. If it's a small trigger, I, sometimes I can roll with it. But triggers are the gateway to the vulnerability and then to the the knee jerk reaction. Yep. To to I'm what? Yep. To the temptation that's already there. Like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. yell. I'm going to be mean. I'm going to talk bad about this person because they just triggered me. You know, um, that to me is where I feel like good pastoral care. I feel like at some point in history, address those things. And that's what we're missing now. We don't, I mean, the pastor sermon was a little part of what he did. Monday through Friday, he was counseling people, talking to them about what is they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And then he preached, you know, that's why he could do it, you know, full time. And I think that when you don't have access to that, your pastor or your leader or someone to process, or even now, of course, it's therapy, of course, of course then you know, you don't know what your triggers are. And then now those triggers are ever present. And now you find yourself in a sin cycle because certain things are triggering you. And that's why I... I took a seven day hiatus off of social media because I got to do that every now and again, you know, mm-hmm. Harlem, like come, come. <laughs> he on it. He was sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but saying that to say is that you're right, man, about our triggers. I never thought of it like that, but I'm taking that. I, I'll quote you Reverend. I appreciate it. Pastor. <laughs> man, uh, you, you, you just, that's the truth. Like that would took the sermon to a whole nother level, but also, that would have let a lot more people know that they need way more help than a wishing and a hoping. Yeah. Cause I think that like people really think that Jesus is a genie. Yeah. Like, like Jesus let a lot of stuff be in our hands. Yeah. Right. It's a lot of stuff that's in our hands. And I and I also think that like a lot of stuff that people like are hoping and praying for, like you can fix it. Like there is an expected end, but he has an expected end for you. There, He does want to be in right fellowship with you, but there are literally things that you do that disconnect you from being in right fellowship. (laughs) 
Oh my god, I'm just yawning. He's like just laying there, just yawning. Uh, uh but yeah, it's 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 us. Like I can't blame God that like I got into a bad contract, or I can't blame God that like I didn't listen to him about a relationship. I can't like blame God like that that I didn't take the red flags that were there about a, a situation I shouldn't have put myself in. Or like um I can't blame God that like my parents were who they were. Right? Like they're yeah. they are also people. Yeah. Also, somebody also, I didn't learn to look at my parents as actual humans until I was older. Yeah, me neither. It wasn't until I became an adult that I respected them mm-hmm. as adults. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother thing, a whole nother thing that should be addressed as well. But I, I think overall, though, when you are connected to Christ and the scripture says that he nothing can separate you from him and you are connected to him for real. He's always presenting an opportunity for us to get a hold of him, reset and reboot. Absolutely. And we'll end it there. So thank you to my good brother, Shamari, for being on Jesus and Jim Shoes, where we have unparalleled conversations about life skills and Jesus. Where can they find you? All right, you guys can look me up on Instagram at Servant Brown, at Servant Brown. Or if you want to check out my website to look at my services and all the things that I do, it's www.shamaribrown.com. Just like it's written, S-H-A-M-M-R-I-E brown.com and you can also find my devotions on Version bible app and um if you just press in the search good servants enterprises all of the bible apps that my wife and i all of the bible plans that me and my wife has written are on there that's what's up i can't wait to get your wife on here man yeah y'all gonna have fun it's, yeah. it's interesting you go how you gonna hear her perspective but i'm gonna i can't wait it's gonna be fun. She's fun. I yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, y'all gonna laugh a lot. Yeah, that's my homie. Uh, but thank you so much again. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to uh Jesus and Jim Shoes. Um, also, you can find us on Instagram at this is underscore Jesus and Jim Shoes, YouTube at this uh Jesus and Jim Shoes, Facebook at Jesus and Jim Shoes. <laughs> Nice. And for those of you who are watching and see this background, this is my daughter's nursery. So that's why these flowers are around me. God bless you. I love it. I love it. All right, man. I love you. Thank you. I love you too. Take care.